Last week, uh, we, saw, we saw a bunch of students get baptized last Sunday night, uh, but this last Tuesday, every single Tuesday night, Celebrate Recovery meets right here, and uh, it's for anybody with hurts, habits, and hangups, so we could all raise our hand on that one, couldn't we? And throughout people's journey, they recognize that, and we, this is where we all need to get to some point, at some point, is it's, it's the fact that we're all in recovery, because Jesus is our answer for everything. And uh, we got to see that on Tuesday night. Uh, it was chip night, but it was also baptism night. So we got to celebrate a bunch of baptisms Tuesday night at Celebrate Recovery and celebrate life change that happened. It was incredible knowing some of their stories and, and seeing the leaders and the step study leaders and the friends and the family that were all there. Uh, beautiful picture of of what happens when God gets a hold of your life through Jesus Christ. And so, man, what he has done, a lot, just in this last week, and we know he's gonna continue to keep working and moving. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we are slowly going through the Gospel of Mark. In fact, we are in our last month. Easter is at the end of the month. And so as we're slowly going through the Gospel of Mark, again, we go a little bit faster in here on a Sunday morning because there's a lot to cover, uh, but we want you to slow down during the week. So this is the best way for you to do that on your own. Don't just take what we what we talk about on a Sunday, but lean in on your own, study on your own, read on your own, so you can text into our Bible reading plan. And if you have not been able to be part of that, guess what? You can still start doing that. You don't have to like, well, I missed the first couple. I don't, that's okay. Jump right in. Pick up where we are today and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you continue to sit in his passages, one of, in, in his word. One of the things that we're explaining through this, just to catch you up, is it's not hurry up and read it so you're done for next week. It's read it, read the passage, it's usually one or two chapters, and then continue to reread that same passage through the rest of the week so that God can truly allow you, can speak to you as you just sit in his word. So let's pray. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. If you were here last week, you're like, weren't we in Mark chapter 10? I said we're going slow, didn't I? We're going to be in chapter 10 again. Um, there's a few things we want us to see all together, and then we'll jump into chapter 11 next week. So let's pray, and we'll be in chapter 10. God, thank you so much for how you move for how you speak. Thank you for what you have done, but we know you're not done yet. We know you continue to move. So in this moment here, as we open your word and study your word and share and discuss and listen, Lord, would you continue to do a work in us? Speak, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so if you want to go ahead and get to Mark chapter 10, like I said, we'll get there in just a second. I'll give you a little bit of context um, before we jump too far in. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I have three kids, and my three kids have pulled some things out of me. And what's interesting is I've caught myself saying and doing things that my dad said and did when I was growing up. Right? Do you, have you experienced this where you're like, I am never going to say that. I'm never going to do that. And then here I am years later like, oh my goodness, I sound just like my dad, which is not a bad thing. If he's watching, um, not a bad thing at all. So one of them, for example, one of them is every time my kids run out the door to go play with friends or do whatever, I'm like, make good choices. And I'm like, oh, that's what my dad told me all the time. But it's true. I want them to make good choices. Another one, sometimes they catch me while we're watching a movie and they're like, dad, wake up. I'm like, I'm just resting my eyes. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, oh, that's what old people say. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm just resting my eyes. This one has become front and center for us. Uh, we, are, we are proud members of Costco. And every time we go to Costco, I have this conversation with my children because we go to Costco, we get everything in bulk. We throw it in the pantry. And I look at all of my children and say, that has to last the whole month. 
And then during the week at some point, it's usually my two oldest boys, they'll start just eating things. I find wrappers everywhere. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're not full yet. We're still hungry. And I started to say this. I say, and maybe your dad said this. It's like, it's my job to feed you, not fill you up. And I'm like, and I said that to my kids not long ago. I'm like, oh my goodness, my dad, like, that is ingrained in my brain. My job's dad, my, my dad's job is not to fill me up, but it is his job to feed me. So I'm like, I'm saying these things. Here's the kicker though, here's the big one. This is not something that was ever said in my family, but it was something that we saw my dad do and I do it all the time. And honestly, I did this before we even had kids. I did this with my wife, is I just walk around the house and turn off all the lights <laughs> that got turned on. And I'm like, who is even up here anymore? And I'm just turning off lights. I'm like, oh my goodness, my dad did that growing up. You know what's interesting when I think about that? My dad never sat me down after I was graduating high school and graduating college. He never sat me down and said, son, here's a few things you need to say when you become a dad. Son, when you become a homeowner, here's what you need to do with the light. Like he never sat me down and like told me those things. They were just ingrained in me. And here I am years later doing all of those things just because I was around him enough. And the more I was around him, I started to take on his character traits and his attributes. I picked up some other really good ones too, like grace and mercy and patience and kindness. I picked those up from my dad as well. And so the more you're around somebody, you start to take on those attributes and those characteristics, right? And ultimately that word is called disciple. That's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple does. A disciple is somebody that follows so closely to somebody else that over time, guess what happens? you just start to be like that person you're following. That person sometimes teaches you, but sometimes more is, you know this phrase, more is caught than taught. You don't know that phrase. All right, well, I'm gonna teach it to you. Sometimes more is caught than taught, right? So Jesus most certainly teaches his disciples, but he's also just with them and they're picking up on some things. And where we're at in the Gospel of Mark, by the time we get to chapter 10, Jesus is actually doing a little bit more teaching because they haven't caught enough. And he's trying to help them understand, if you're really gonna be my disciple and follow me, it's not just a bunch of things to do, it really is about who you are. It's not just a bunch of rules, it's not just a bunch of things to do, but it's who you are. Ken Boa wrote a wonderful book, Conformed to His Image, and, and this kind of sets the tone for what we're gonna look at this morning. Here's what he said. In our culture, we increasingly tend to be human doings rather than human beings. The world tells us that we achieve, that what we achieve and accomplish determines who we are, but the scriptures teach that who we are in Christ should be the basis for what we do. Such an important principle to understand because this is what we're gonna see Jesus do. Is yes, the things we do matter, but understand it comes from a place of identity, of who we are. And if we are followers of Jesus, follow my progression, if we are followers of Jesus, then the word there is a disciple of Jesus. We are a disciple of Jesus. We're not just talking about the 12 disciples. We are disciples if we choose to follow Jesus. So if we follow Jesus, we're a disciple of Jesus. If we are a disciple of Jesus, then we are following him so closely that we begin to act like him and think like him and live like him. We will never be him, but we are trying to follow his example and be like him in every way possible. And it's not just, well, Jesus told me to do this, so I have to do this. It's no, I'm a disciple of his, that's who I am. And like Ken's explaining here, and because of who I am, now this is what I do. Do you understand that progression? 
And that's what we are going to see Jesus try to do and try to help his disciples understand. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to have to go a little bit backwards before we go forward. So yes, be in chapter 10. We have to go back a little bit because what we're going to see Jesus do, he does this three different times. And each of the times that Jesus does this, it actually follows the exact same order and the exact same structure. So here's what I want you to be looking for. Jesus is going to give his death prediction that is going to lead to the disciples being confused, which is going to lead to Jesus giving a discipleship lesson. We're going to see that happen three times in that exact same order, in that exact same structure. A death prediction, Jesus is going to say, here's what's going to happen to me. Disciples are going to be extremely confused. There's going to be a lot of confusion around what that means and why. And then that's going to give an opportunity for Jesus to explain, so here's who you are if you are a disciple. And if you are a disciple, if that's who you are, then here's what you will do. So look for this progression from the death prediction, the disciple confusion, disciples confusion, and then the discipleship lesson. And I want us to lean into that discipleship lesson. So like I said, we gotta go backwards. I want you to see all three of these. We're gonna spend most of our time in the prediction, the confusion, and the lesson in chapter 10, but you need to see these side by side. So real quick, because we've already talked about these other two. Chapter eight, Mark chapter eight, Jesus gives his first death prediction. Verse 31, then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man, that's himself, the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but uh, he would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. That's his first death prediction. Now, if we follow that structure, then there's disciples confusion. And if you keep reading or if you were here several weeks ago and we talked about it, Peter's like, no, 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 that can't be right. Jesus, that's not how the Messiah goes. No, this is, this is different. And, and, and what you're saying is not accurate. So he actually rebukes Jesus, which is a fascinating story. Again, it was a great conversation we had about that one. But then we see Jesus give a discipleship lesson. And the lesson was all around surrender. You must give up your own way, pick up your cross and follow me. Those who try to hold on to their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for me will gain it. Like he uses that kind of language and it all revolves around this idea of surrender. Then we see the second death prediction. We see this in chapter nine. Chad Childress was here several weeks ago. He preached on this uh, in verse 30, kind of the end of 31. Jesus said to them, the son of man, again, that's himself, the Messiah, is going to be betrayed, added something new here, will be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later will rise from the dead. So we have the second death prediction. And if we follow that same structure, that's going to lead to disciples' confusion. And if you keep reading that passage, you see that the disciples start arguing about who's going to be the best, who's the greatest. Here's Jesus talking about sacrifice and suffering and death. And they're like, yeah, I think I'm going to be the best disciple. So Jesus, through that opportunity, gave them a discipleship lesson that was all around the ideas of serving. He says, if you really want to be great, then you need to be the last. If you want to be a leader, then become a servant. So just in those two predictions, we see Jesus teaching his disciples, here's what it looks like. If you are a disciple, then here's what it looks like. It looks like surrender. It looks like sacrifice and serving. And then we come to the third one. This is the new one. This is what we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. Notice here, Jesus, each with each of his predictions, starts giving a little bit more information. You're going to see a lot more information here. Verse 32. They were now on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. In other words, they had mixed emotions. 
We know what this feels like, right? We can be really nervous, but also really excited. We can be deeply sad and even a little angry. Here we have like, they're in awe, like, oh my goodness, like we're getting close to Jerusalem. Like he's gonna walk in as king and, and that we're gonna talk about that next week. But they're also very afraid. Like, what, what does this mean? What is gonna happen? There's a lot of uncertainty. So you see the mixed emotions there. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more for the third time began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him and whip him and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Do you see how Jesus was adding each time? The second prediction added the betrayal part of the story. By the time he gets here, he's actually not just talking about the suffering and the death. He's also talking about his humiliation. Notice the language he uses. Mock, spit, flog him, whip him, and then kill him. That's new for the disciples to hear that. They're hear, hearing not just death, they're hearing the humiliation that is to precede his death. Now, what I want us to pay attention to briefly is, is just notice all the aspects of those three predictions that are the same, right? Where is Jesus really leaning in? They all have three main components of, the, of his death prediction. The first one is that all of the predictions that Jesus gave all use like certain language. This must happen. This is what's going to happen. And the idea there is it's not a reaction. It's not like, well, guys, this didn't work out the way that I thought it would. It was, no, this is my plan. Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' death was the plan. And not plan like C, D, E, and they're just responding. No, this is why I came. The Son of Man came to give his life. So he's making sure that it's clear, this is the plan. Second thing he brings up in all three predictions is there is, there is death, but death through suffering or death through humiliation, right? Every way that he describes this, a betrayal, being spit on, mocked, like these are not glorious deaths. So he says, no, there will be humiliation and there will be suffering. And then the third thing, and the most exciting part is the resurrection. Each and every time, and three days later, and three days later, and three days later, I'm coming back. So you have, this is the plan. There is suffering, humiliation, death that leads to death, but then there is also most certainly the resurrection. So that's the clarity, right? That's the prediction. But like we mentioned, there's also the disciples' confusion. We've seen that in the other two predictions. We see it here as well. Here's the confusion. And when people are confused, people say weird things. Have you noticed that? Like when people don't understand, they just kind of say things that are like, that makes no sense here. That happens again. James and John are the, are the ones that get a little confused here. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Again, Jesus just finished talking about humiliation, suffering, and death. And like, hey, um, we heard all that. Can you, do a, can you do a solid for us? Here's the favor we have, we, we're asking. Verse 36, what is your request? Jesus asked. Verse 37, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you on your right and the other on your left. Again, what did Jesus just finish talking about? Death and suffering and a resurrection. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, can we be next to you? Like, we, like when you're like setting up your kingdom, we don't care, James, John, like, hey, we're good. But as long as one of us is on your left and one of us is on your right, what are they trying to hold on to? Position. 
and power and honor. Jesus is talking about self-sacrifice, and here they are trying to, trying to hold on to their position. Jesus gives a wonderful response, clear, but I would say also compassionate. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Okay, uh, then Jesus told them, not so fast. You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say he will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Verse 41 is very telling on the rest of the disciples, the other, uh, the other 10. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. In other words, why didn't we think of that first? We should have gone to him and asked first and they beat us to it, right? They're all wanting position. They're all wanting positions and places of honor and power. Now, real quick, I don't want you to get hung up on language. Jesus uses some interesting language around cups of suffering and baptisms. I thought like baptism was a good thing. Real quick on that. We're not gonna get too far down. That was common language in Jesus's day to describe suffering in these two ways by drinking a cup. And in fact, later on in Mark 14, we're gonna read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He talks about this cup, if there's another way. So he's, he uses imagery of drinking a cup to describe suffering. Same thing with baptism. Literally, the word baptism just means to be immersed. We use it in the sense of we are immersed under the water, but Jesus is saying, I am over, well, the, the suffering you're referring to is an overwhelming kind of suffering where you are completely immersed in suffering. Now notice here, Jesus, Jesus kind of distinguishes between his suffering and the disciples' suffering. He's basically saying, you will suffer, but not the way I am. You are gonna be immersed in suffering, but not the same type. You're gonna have to drink from a cup of suffering, but it's not the same one. See, Jesus' suffering was taking our sins away. Scripture tells us that the weight of the world, the sin of the world went on his shoulders for us. We will never experience that kind of suffering. Now, we will suffer. The disciples most certainly will suffer. And we've talked about this idea of suffering for the sake of Christ or the sake of the good news or the sake of the gospel. And the idea there is, yes, when we give up, there's a level of suffering there. When we choose Jesus over fill in the blank, there's a level of suffering there. Nowhere near the level of Jesus' suffering. So he's like, yeah, yeah, you're gonna suffer, not the same as me, but you will suffer. It's interesting when you look at all three predictions and you look at all three of the instances where the disciples were very confused and said weird things, every single one of them, again, we see Jesus teaching them what it really means to be a disciple. It's not just what you do, but it's who you are. So let me put this up here. Let me kind of walk you through. This is gonna kind of help us with where we're gonna go next. This is the three different accounts and all the similarities and kind of the progression even. So what we see is when Jesus described his self-sacrifice, when Jesus described his death prediction, each and every time, three different times, the disciples responded with self-centeredness. Did you notice that? Here's the self-centeredness. So in the first death prediction, the disciples wanted to win. When Jesus gave the prediction, Peter went up to Jesus and rebuked him. He said, no, 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 no. This isn't how the Messiah thing works. You're supposed to come in with like victory and start a kingdom and overthrow Rome. We want to win. And Jesus taught them and told them about surrender. No, no, you're wanting this. The self-centered piece of you wants to just win. But a disciple of Jesus 
disciple of mine surrenders, gives up their own way, picks up their cross and follows me, he said. And the second account, the second prediction, you see that the disciples begin to argue about who's the greatest. The disciples wanted to be great. So what was the lesson? Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to serve. Sacrifice for others. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. Instead of being first, be last. They wanted to be great, and he told them and taught them what it meant to be a servant. And what we just read here, the disciples wanted to secure their position. Like, I want to make sure, like, when this whole thing is settled, like, I'm at your right or at your left. I need to be in one of those two spots. I want position. I want status. I want power. I want honor. And what did Jesus just tell them? In fact, you don't prepare for position. Prepare for suffering because you will experience suffering. Not like me. I'm going to pay your debt, but you still will suffer. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's helping them understand not just a list of things to do. He's painting a picture of himself, of self-sacrifice, of servitude, of surrender, and of suffering. So as he's teaching the disciples, he's really painting a picture of himself and saying, this is who This is who you need to be, not just a bunch of things to do, but here's who you are. And he was giving himself, showing himself as the example. Jesus is going to take all of that. He's going to kind of start to sum it up a little bit. You're going to hear some very similar language from what he said before. Verse 22, he leans in again. So Jesus called them together. He's like, all right, let's talk. You're obviously still not getting this. He called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Verse 43, and if you want to underline something, this is what you underline. But among you, it will be different. Will you say this with me? This is so key for the rest of our time. Say it with me. But among you, it will be different. It will be different. You are supposed to be. You are called to be. I am leading you to be Different, and he paints a picture of what different looks like. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And then verse 45, he gives a very clear picture of himself. He says, for the son of man, talking about himself as the Messiah, for the, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus in this section, it's, it's, it's a teaching, but he's doing it through contrasting. Right? He takes, you know the rulers of this world, you know the authorities, you know the people of this world, and you know, like you live among them, you're around them, like you get it, you know it, you know what they use their power and influence and money for, for selfish gain and, and for self-promotion. You know how they think and you know how they live, you know the words that they speak. So he reminds them, like, this is what everyone else looks like and thinks like and talks like and acts like. And then he paints a picture of, but, but you, you as disciples, you as a disciple of Jesus, in that middle section, what did we say? But among you, it will be, what was the word? Different. different. He says, these are opposites. These are so different. You know what these people are like. You know what the world looks like and, and acts like and, and values and pursues? But among you, it will be different. You know how the world spends their time and what they put their effort on and what they're focused on, but among you, it will be different. You know how leaders lead and how they flaunt it and use their authority, but among you, it is gonna be different. 
And then he paints a picture of what different looks like because he is that different. But among you, it will be different. What we see here in regards to different is really like two parts. And so let me say it, and then we're gonna talk about it, is that Jesus calls us. And I'm saying us, not just the disciples, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus calls us to humility and holiness. Humility and holiness. Humility, this should not be a shock to any of us, especially if you've been walking through our study of Mark, because Jesus keeps bringing up this idea of humility over and over and over. Even in the, the last three predictions that we've looked at, there's elements of humility in each and every one of those, of giving up your own way, or giving up for someone else, or being a servant of another. So there's this idea of humility that places you beneath the authority of someone else or places you just beneath someone else entirely, whether they have the authority or not. The idea of putting yourself under but doing so willingly. Very, very common theme throughout scripture, especially in Jesus's teachings, but also the holiness part. Don't miss that. Here's why. Humility in and of itself does not make disciples different. True, right? Humility in and of itself, being, being somebody that serves others, is not what truly makes a disciple different. I mean, it's, it's even in our day and age today, like serving and humility, like those are, those are attributes, those are virtues that people would say are great things, right? What makes a, a great boss? Well, they're really humble. What makes a good friend? Oh, well, they serve, like Believing in Jesus, following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus does not have to be part of that equation. So humility is part of it. Holiness is what truly sets us as disciples apart from the rest of the world. Holiness is what truly makes us different. So when Jesus says that phrase, but among you, it will be different. Not just in action, not just in word, but most certainly with your heart. And he's going to give some very practical applications that come out in forms of serving. But the point here is you are set apart. You are called to be holy. You are called to holiness. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot, especially in church world. And we're like, I don't know what that means exactly. So let's talk about it for a second. Let me give you, I'm going to give you two definitions. One that you may or may not understand. One that I actually think you're going to understand. So here's the first one. Here's the first one. This is truly um, a great definition. It's very wordy. It's from an encyclopedia. Um, here's what we are told about holiness. Holiness is a fundamental element in the distinctive nature of God as revealed in scripture. And so there's a holiness component of God. That's the point there. But there's also a holiness that we are called to. That's the second part of the definition. And a basic response to his grace on the part of the people of God, that's us, as they look become molded into his likeness. If you didn't, if I see a lot of blank faces. So here's what that means. Be more like Jesus and less like the world. That's what that means, right? Because, because he is holy, because he is holy, we are molded into, we are intended to be molded into his likeness to become more and more and more like Jesus in every way and less and less like the world. So that if, if Jesus were to talk to us like he talked with his original 12 disciples. And he said, yeah, you know what the world looks like? And you know what the people of the world that follow the world, like here's what they look like. But then he looks at us and says, but, but you are so different. And here's what makes you different. What makes us different is holiness. 
that we are more and more like him. Holy literally just means to be set apart, to be different. But in our context, it's not just being different. It's being different because we're following Jesus. It's being set apart by the standards of God, not anything we dictate. It's not just be different for different sake. It's be different as you follow Jesus. Jesus is making an extremely clear distinction between the world and the disciples, between the world we live in and our identity. Jesus is getting to the root of the problem, and the root is our identity. Who are we? Are we just part of the world, or are we a disciple of Jesus? If you'd flip with me, stay in Mark 10. We're going to come back there. Uh, but in 1 Peter, I love reading the words of Peter after, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and like the things that you read in Acts when the church begins, where Peter actually starts to become a leader within the church. And it's interesting, like all the things that we kind of tease and make fun of Peter for, like in the Gospels of how he got it wrong, you really start to see Hey, he really did come, like he learned, like he got it. Uh, Didn't get everything. Uh, Obviously, none of us are perfect, but you start to see how his language shifted. And I even want you to think through, if you remember back, the first death prediction is when Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus, this isn't right. You can't do this. Like we're supposed to win and be victorious. Listen to how he talks about following Jesus and being a disciple. First Peter, this is Peter's letter, his words, starting in verse 13. He tells the early church, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Now pause there, desires. I think of what Peter's desires might have been just based on that first prediction that he rebuked Jesus. The desire to not suffer, the desire to win this war with Rome, this desire to have an earthly kingdom that he gets to be part of reigning, like all these desires, I think of what he might have written or what he might have thought when he wrote this. And look what he says next. You didn't know any better then. Yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure this out. And we didn't know any better. But verse, verse 15, but now you must look, be holy in everything you do. Why? just as God who chose you is holy. And then he just makes sure you don't miss it. Verse 16, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That's a quote from God. God says, I am holy. Therefore, you need to be holy. This is who I am, Jesus is saying to his disciples. This is who I am. I am self-sacrificing. I am a servant. I am surrendering to the will of the Father. That's who I am, and I want you to be like me. But among you, it will, it must be different. Here's the question I want us to begin to wrestle with. We talked, uh, if you were here for the night of worship, we talked a little bit about confession. Don't worry, we're not gonna like jump too, too far into that this morning. But I do want us to have that same posture of being honest and transparent with God, right? So here's where I want us to begin wrestling. How different are we really? How different are we truly? So if you were to think of this question, do my thoughts, attitudes, motives, desires, choices, words, and actions. I couldn't think of any other words to add to that. I think I covered them all. If you think of something, tell me I'm gonna add it for the next service. I was trying to be all encompassing. Do my thoughts, attitudes, motives, desires, choices, words, and actions look more like Jesus 
or less like Jesus? Do my thoughts look different than the rest of the world? Do my attitudes look different than the rest of the world? Do my motives look different to the rest of the world? Are my desires different? Then we can go through each and every one of those. When Jesus says, but among you, it must be different. How different are we? How different are we really? It's getting closer to spring, which in our house means pollen and spring cleaning, right? Pollen is allergy season. Spring clean is just something we do. A couple weeks ago, we actually started this in our garage. We did the spring cleaning part of our garage, and it was fascinating, all the things we found. I mean, our kids are out there pulling everything out, and like, look what I found, and oh, I've been looking for this, and where does this come from? Like, we're finding all kinds of things, and we basically had two categories of things that we found in our garage. There was the, oh yeah, we need that. It's just not in its proper place. We need to put it where it goes. Or it is a, please throw that away. And we had a big trash can out front by the garage. So it was either reorganize it, repurpose it, reprioritize, put it where it needs to go, or throw it away. I would suggest the same as you go through that list. If you'll pause long enough, you have to pause. This doesn't work if you don't pause. You can't clean your garage quickly. You don't just walk through your garage and it gets picked up. You have to spend some time. So when we talk about kind of having this honest conversation between us and the Lord, it's going to take some time. And you go through, all right, God, let me, let, me see my, let me see my life. Let me see my heart. You know my thoughts. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 is a great prayer for that. It says, God, do I need to reorder some things in my life so that I'm different? Do I need to reprioritize because my life maybe looks a little too like the world? Do I need to get rid of some things? As you go through that question, would you be willing to have some honest conversations with God? Reorder, reprioritize, put things in their proper place, or maybe some things just need to be gone. Because among you, it will be, say it one more time, different. We are called to holiness. We are called to be different in every way. If you want some more reading on the idea of what it means to be different, Romans chapter 12, the entire chapter. Uh, spend some time in there if you want to have some like moments with you and God of being honest about where you're at. Romans chapter 12 would be great. Here's how Jesus ends. He ends with a perfect, the perfect example in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And, see, it's not just about serving others. And loving others, it's also about following the will of God, which for Jesus was to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus does something interesting here. We don't have time to go through like all of it. So if you want some extra homework to dig in, I promise if you're a Bible nerd, this is going to be super, 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 super cool. Um, You need to compare Daniel chapter 7 with Isaiah chapter 53. And what's cool is Jesus takes both of those prophecies about the Messiah and shoves them together in one sentence. Daniel chapter 7 is all about the eternal kingdom and the authority and the glory of the Messiah, which is great. The disciples love that part. Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant, but he will be pierced for us. He will be crushed for our sins. And Jesus in one sentence takes Daniel 7 and Isaiah 53 and says, here's me. Here's me. Here's who I am. And if you're going to be a disciple of mine, here's who you are. Paul takes some similar language. Let me read through this. We're going to talk briefly about it and what our part is. He takes that sentence that Jesus spoke about himself, and he begins to explain it a little bit more. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus had. Notice 
how he begins to describe Jesus in verse six. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He let go of it. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Are you hearing some common words here? And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see what Paul's doing there? Humility. We see Jesus' humility in his sacrifice, in him becoming like us, fully God, but fully man. We see the humility of Jesus, but we also see the holiness of Jesus, that he humbled himself, look, in obedience. He was set apart for God's purpose and God's plan. It was about the will of the Father, not the will of the world. It was about God's word, not not what everybody else thought or said but among you, it will be different. And Paul uses who Jesus is, not just what he did, but who he is. Verse five, if you paid attention, you, we, must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had in his humility and in his holiness. Because Jesus was humble, we are humble. Because he is holy, We are called to holiness. But among you, it will be different. Church, we are called to be different. Yes, we are called to love, and yes, we are called to serve, and yes, to a lot of things, but all of that comes out of our holiness, our purpose that God has given us, the new life that he has given us, all because of the grace of Jesus. So that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what he was getting at. He was helping his disciples understand, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, it's not just a, thing, a bunch of things to do. If you want to be a disciple, it's who you are. And who do you base who you are on? Jesus said me. You want to be my disciple, be like me. If you would, in this moment, if you'll stand with me, we are going to sing a very simple song. Many of you are probably familiar with this. A very simple song. Oh, but the words are very difficult. Difficult because of what this means. Jesus made it clear, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be like me. Following him means a life of surrender, sacrifice, and suffering. All from a place of holiness. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing and declare this together. Jesus, thank you so much for how you teach us and how you lead us. In this moment, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would reveal to us how we need to be different from this world to be more and more like you. We can make excuses for a lot of things. We can rationalize a lot of things. Oh, but God, nothing nothing gets past you. So would you reveal to us what it looks like for each and every one of us to follow you and to become more like you. In your name we pray, amen.